Welcome to the Grace Long Beach Podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Matthew 11, 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Kids, you can head off to King's Quest. My name's Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace, and I don't know if there are any of you here who are new this morning, but one thing I wanted to let you know if you are, or if you've been here for a long time, is that we are a community who wants to invite you in no matter where you are in your journey with Jesus. Maybe you don't know Jesus, and maybe you're trying to, you're figuring it out, or you're checking us out for the first time, or church for the first time. Perhaps you've been on a long journey with Jesus and it goes through peaks and valleys and you're in one of those places where it feels like a valley. Grateful you're here. Maybe you are just rocking it as a Christian. Um, I want to go out to lunch with you uh, and, and learn from you. But if you're in that place, we're grateful you're here as well. Uh, this is a community of people who truly want to encounter the life and love of Jesus and to bear witness to that life and love in the world. Uh, We're going to go into God's Word this morning, and I have a real sense that God wants to speak to us. He certainly has to me, and I I think that He wants to speak to all of us, um, and to some of you specifically. Uh, And I think as the morning goes on that you will know who you are. So let's ask that God would speak. Gracious God, you are good. You are loving. You are holy, and yet you are near. Thank you that you are that type of God. Thank you that you are a father to us who wants to be with us, who wants to reveal your love to us. Help us to this morning to be attentive to your presence. Help us this morning to go to you and to learn from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's this moment in... uh, the life of a pastor when a series ends and then you're in between and there's going to be another one that begins. And there's this liminal space called the wilderness. And, and, and you wonder what is next and what should we do? And for some, they might think, awesome, I can talk about whatever I want. For people like me, it's like, oh no, I can talk about whatever I want. Uh, and and, and this is, I've been trying to be attentive to what might God have for us these next two weeks, because we just ended a series in Ephesians, which was really remarkable, um, to journey in that book where God, I think, was revealing to us what the church is, what God has done in Jesus, and then what that means to live it out 
uh, in our lives. Uh, and going from there, and then we're going to transition into something for the summer in a couple weeks. And I intentionally left these two weeks open to consider what it is God might have for us. Uh, and, and it's hard for me sometimes to figure out what God has for us. It's much easier for me to consider what God has for me and where I feel like my life with God is. And my prayer is that through that, somehow God might speak to all of us. So I want to describe where I've been and the things that have uh, been captivating my imagination in hopes that God might have something to say to everyone. Because when I was thinking about what to, to preach on, I kept coming back in my prayer life over these, these two passages, Matthew 11, and then next week, Matthew 22. So the, the come to me passage, all who are tired and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then Matthew 22, um, you know, what are the two greatest commandments to love God and to love neighbor? And as I was thinking about preaching, I thought there's got to be something just not as simple. There's got to be something more profound. Uh, there's got to be something that, that is new and that's cool and that's like wonderful. And, and, but I kept on considering these two passages. And for me in my spiritual life, the way that God often works is not by saying something new, but by saying something old, but in a more deep and profound way. And that's what I feel like I've encountered. I, I almost think of it as, I don't know if you have friends or if you're in a relationship where you've told this other person something and you've had this conversation and then two or three months later, the person comes back and they said, guess what this other person said? They said this, this, and this. And, and you think, I told you that like three months ago. Um, and why is it so profound now? And I feel like God has that same experience with me all the time where I, I read something or I engage something and it's almost like this new epiphany. And I'm imagining God saying like, Okay, well, at least we got there. Um, that, that's good. But Matthew 11, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, this passage for me has been a breath of fresh air. And as I was thinking about the love God and love neighbor, I think before we get to the ways in which God is calling us and ways in which Christ is calling us to be in the world, we need to first take seriously the invitation that Jesus has given us to be in relationship to him. So if you want, you can turn your Bibles to Matthew 11, and we're going to look uh, through those few verses. It's not much, but I think it's really beautiful, and I think it's an incredible Im invitation from Jesus to me, to you, to all of us. And what really engaged my um, spiritual life is not so much the ESV, which you can read behind me, so I guess you don't even need to turn into your Bibles, but you can. Uh, it's, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've read that verse a hundred times. But then I encountered the message version of this, and to truth be told, the message and I, we don't necessarily connect all that much. Um, I, there are some places where I love it and other places where it's even more difficult to understand, I think, than the actual Bible. Uh, but in this, in this particular text, I found, my, I found something that grabbed hold of me. And I offer this to you, and I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it slowly. And I'm asked, I would ask that you engage it and the questions that are asked that you might respond to it. And then I'm going to take it 
sort of bracket by bracket or line by line and then talk and meditate on how it's really been affecting to me. So I'll read it out loud. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. When I read that, and I think it was about probably a month ago, it breathed new life into that text for me. Because it, came, it became very relational, which the text itself is, as you reread it in Scripture. But this, I could hear Jesus saying this to me, and where I was in life. So I just want to begin simply with the beginning of where, of where that text begins. So come to me. Or are you tired, worn out, burned out? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. So why do I think this grabbed hold of me in a new way? Because I, I don't know about you, but in my brain, there is often lots of noise. And the noise in my brain, or the tapes that I push play on without even my knowing it, Say things like, there's just so many things to think about, so many things you need to know. Here are all the things you don't know. Here's what you should be doing. Here's what you're not doing. Here's what you were doing, probably should stop, but then maybe you'll start again. Well, what about your family? What's that like? Are you a good husband? Are you a good father? You're not as good as you think. You're probably better than you are. I mean, here's, this is literally like the inside of my brain all the time. Okay, you're a pastor. Do you know what you're doing? You probably don't, but you probably do. But, you know, if the church, does it know what it's doing? No, it's totally lost, but it's also not. And it, the thing is, it's like this, this are, these are the insides of my, my tapes that are playing, and you have your own. When you're quiet with yourself, what do you hear? And so there's noise and constant noise, and we're tired. But not to mention that it's a really fascinating time to be alive. And the reason why it's fascinating to be alive is because culture is changing at such a rapid pace. Christians and people who don't profess any faith will tell you that. They both agree on this one fact. The world as we knew it is gone. And the world as we will know it, we have no idea what that looks like. But it's constantly changing. But not to mention Christianity is the same way, and the church. Faith looks so much different than it used to. Do you remember the times when being a Christian seemed so easy? Do you remember when it, it seemed like everybody around you, maybe they didn't, know, they didn't know Jesus, they didn't have faith, but they could put up with you even if you did. The landscape of faith and where we find ourselves as Christians or culture in general is completely and utterly disoriented and destabilized. One of the dialogue partners in this sermon, but also in my life, is by the, the New York band named The National. I was talking with somebody, and they're like, yeah, The National, you know, they, they, like, they hit a solid 300. I'm thinking, like, solid 300? They're batting 1,000, obviously, all the time. I love them so much, and I feel like one of the things that they have to offer is a commentary 
on this world that they were told would work the way it's supposed to. And as they've gotten jobs, or as they've been made music, and as they look around them, it's completely changed. And they don't know what's up from down, and, and the things that used to have meaning don't anymore. Uh, and so they wrote this song on their newest album called I Am Easy to Find, and the song is not in Kansas. And here's how it starts. I am not in Kansas. I can't slow down, and I can't stand it. I am not in Kansas. Where I am, I don't know where. And I, I, I listened to the song, and I thought, yes. That's not only true for us as human beings, that is true for me as a Christian. That is true for me as somebody who's part of the church. We are not in Kansas anymore. But where are we? We don't know. What does faith look like? What does it mean to be the church today? There are so many more questions than there are answers. And it's exhausting. And as I've been thinking about preaching and being a pastor, and what it means to be part of a church, it's a really tricky thing. Just like you being a, being a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, as a parent, and as an employee of somewhere. So what does it mean to actually be a person of faith in this landscape that seems completely destabilized? The past is gone. We can't go back there. The future is uncertain. So what are we supposed to do? And I find that really fascinating that not, it's not only the church that feels that. It's not only Christians. It's everybody. Everybody is looking at the world and recognize that the things just aren't the way they used to be. Consider these next lines from the National. If the sadness of life makes you tired and the failures of man make you sigh, you can look to the time soon arriving when this noble experiment winds down and calls it a day. If the sadness of life makes you tired and the failures of man make you sigh. We have tired, sadness, and just a sigh. And what is the answer? And the song is so beautifully hopeless. Like it's totally hopeless and crazily beautiful. But the end... And the hope is that it will one day be over. The hope is that the sadness, that the sigh, that the failures of man is just that they will no longer be. And I wonder how that sits with you as somebody who may or may not profess faith in Jesus. But does it sometimes feel, as you look around in your own life, in the life of the church, in the life of the world, you think, what is the answer to any of this? Because all of the problems, all of the tiredness, all of the sadness just seems insurmountable. How do we keep going? And it's in this that Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and tired and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. And here's what's interesting in this text of what the answer is, to go to Jesus. But it's not just to simply to receive or go toward the invitation that Jesus is offering, but it's to learn. 
from Jesus. Take my yoke upon you, the ESV says, and you'll learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The message version, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That line is incredible. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So the answer to a tired, sad, burned out world is not that it will one day be over, but that it, there's, it's a possibility to go to the one who has life and who can give rest. And it's to learn from that person. It's to actually make a, make a statement in your brain or with your life to say, look, I don't have what it takes. I can't make sense of things. I don't even know how to live in this world yet. There is somebody who does, and that person is Jesus. So as we think about what it means to be a Christian in today's world, even that claim that there is an external life called Jesus through the power of the Spirit that can show me and form me into the person I'm called to be in the world, that already is a countercultural claim. Think about how crazy it is that we are people who say that a person named Jesus is actually the embodiment of God, He lived, he died, he rose again. He ascended. The Spirit came upon the church, bringing us together, and we are called to live that out. That is nuts. (laughs) That is crazy. But it's also true. And we know it's true as the people of God because we have experienced the life, the love, the grace, the mercy, the crazy reality and experience of God's presence with us. But see, it's, it's hard in, in, in today's culture, in today's time, to live in this way. There's a philosopher, a Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor. Now, I'm going to speak a little bit of philosophy, but don't worry. I'm not a philosopher. I don't really know what he's talking about. I'm just going to be able to describe what I think he's talking about. And uh, so I'm gonna, not going to make it too heady. But he says this, we live in a world that has become disenchanted. So how is it that in the year 1500, people, in terms of knowing and believing there was a God, was the norm, right? People didn't question that. If you didn't believe in God, you were crazy. How is it we fast forward 500 years, 600 years to the present, and it's completely opposite? That to believe in God is peculiar. To believe in this this person named Jesus who lived, died, and rose again, that's what's strange. What's the narrative in between that? And it's a 900-page book to describe that narrative, and I'm not going to tell it to you. But he uses these, he talks about these two things, about we, can, we come from a world that was enchanted. This idea of a divine existence and external to us that could actually affect us is no longer the case. We live in a world where, it's, where we're disenchanted. The world isn't filled with with possibility and wonder. It's a closed system. And we, as a people then, we've become closed. So where we were at one time, people he would call porous, we were open to the experiences and activities of the spiritual realm. I mean, this is what Eric Balmer talked about last week. We were porous. We were open to that. The activity of God, that's a real possibility. The fact that God, through his spirit, can engage this world and bring healing actually was reality. That's what it means to be open to the possibility of God. But now what has happened, because the world has become disenchanted, 
we've become what he calls buffered. Now, what does that mean? It means we have, in a sense, created little boxes around ourselves so that the activity of God or an external divine being cannot affect us. We're closed off to that possibility. So what, that, what does that mean? It means the locus or the center of meaning of spirituality is me. As an individual. As a human being. I'm the one who makes meaning of the world. I am the one who determines what God looks like or what spirituality looks like. So it is for Jesus to speak to a world who is tired and burned out and worn out to say, come to me. And if we answer that call, it is already countercultural and crazy because we're saying that the possibility of life and meaning is not within here. It's out there, and his name is Jesus. And so Charles Taylor then goes on. He says, we're, as, as people of faith, we're in this, this weird tension from this cross-pressure from both sides. The world is disenchanted. Don't believe. No, there's belief. There's Jesus. There's the Spirit. And don't hear me like bemoaning culture. I can't change it. It's what it's, it's just the fact of the matter. We live in this. But this is what it feels like to be a Christian. Do you experience that? Do you experience the sometimes difficulty, the tensions, the, the just honestly confusion of being a follower of Jesus in the present? Because it doesn't seem like it works or it doesn't seem like it makes sense. Do you find yourself there? Do you find yourself at odds, even as a Christian, with the church? What is this thing? What are we supposed to be? This thing is no longer what I feel like is working in the world. And what does that even mean? I mean, we live in a time in which things are rapidly changing and in which these questions are constantly being asked, and it's exhausting. But the answer is not in here, and it's not in me, and it is not in you. The answer is in Jesus Christ who says, come to me and to learn from me. Watch how I do it. Because you will not find rest in and of yourself. You will not find meaning. You will not find the good life if you are the one determining it. So to come, into, to, come to Jesus is to learn from Jesus what the vision of the good life actually is. To learn from Jesus and to learn the unforced rhythms of grace, as Peterson puts it, is to have our lives formed and shaped by Christ in such a way that we are living as if it is unforced because our desires, our hopes, our dreams, our imaginations have been so captivated by Jesus, so shaped by him, we can't help but think of living another way because no other way makes sense. So come to me, learn from me, And then he continues on. And he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or the message, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So the ways of Jesus are the ways to life. The vision of Jesus is the vision of the good life. But here's where the rubber meets the road and here's where I need to be honest with you. I don't often believe that. And you would know I don't often believe that because if you looked at my life, you would be able to tell me that. If you you heard my inner dialogue, you'd be able to know. 
that I don't really believe sometimes that the way of Jesus is the way to life, that the vision that Jesus offers is the vision of the good life. And so this that's my question to you too. Do, when you think of this, when you think of Jesus and his yoke being easy and his burden being light, and that he won't lay anything, as, as Peterson says, heavy or ill-fitting on you, do you really believe that that's true? Do you really believe that when Jesus says, come to me and you will find rest, come to me and the yoke that I give you. And to be yoked is to be connected. To be, to be yoked is to live life with Jesus forming you and shaping you. And that, that what he calls us to, what he's asking of us, won't be heavy burden. It won't be ill-fitting. But it will be helping us live freely and lightly. Do you trust that? Do you actually believe that when Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest, that Jesus actually will? Because I'm going to give you a little insight into my spiritual life. A lot of my praying and wrestling with God is I don't believe that he, I don't believe that he is near me. I don't even believe that he knows me very well. And sometimes I don't believe that he has my best interests in mind. Truly, I experience that wrestle with God. God, I, I, I know that you say this, but honestly, I don't really experience you right now. Or I, you really want me to do that because I don't know if that's truly what I'm cut out to do. Or I don't know if that's going to be good for me. Do you experience that inner wrestling with God? Is that part of your spiritual life? Because what I've experienced, and especially with this text the last month, praying through it, and responding to it, and engaging with God through it, I realize how often, how often, I just don't trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about. I I just don't, I just don't. And I wonder if the life of being spiritually formed into growing up into the likeness of Jesus is growing in our ability to trust that Jesus does in fact know what he's talking about. So do you believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about? Do you believe that when Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest, that he really will give it? Do you believe what we'll get into next week that it's really about loving God and loving neighbors? Do you believe it's that simple? Do you really believe that, that we're moving toward a trajectory in which God will make all things new? And that end of when there is no more tears or death or sadness, that that is actually real? Do you believe that that is what the future looks like and that that future has broken in now because of Jesus? Do you believe that the world is an enchanted place? That Jesus can actually affect change in your life, in this church, in our city, and in our world? Do we believe that? Do I believe it? And honestly, oftentimes, I have, to be, I have to tell you, I don't think I do, but I want to. I don't think that God is actually forming and shaping me into a person who's more kind and more loving and more patient, especially with my kids. I don't often believe that, that God has the best interest of the church in mind. That it's easy to think, right? Oh, we need to go back to the way things were. Because the future is so crazy and dark, don't go there. As if God's forgotten about us. 
mean just thinking of Grace Long Beach specifically, we've been around for a hundred years, over a hundred years. And we think now, all of a sudden, God's going to say, well, that was cool, and then just walk away? I mean, if Jesus isn't the person who's standing before us saying, come to him, if he isn't the person who gives us life, if he isn't the person who will have an easy yoke and a light burden and who is working to make all things new in us and in the world, then what is the point? We have been called to be people who go to Jesus over and over and over again so that our lives become more and more like the one who gave himself up for the entire world. And that's good news. The end of the national song says this. Time has come now to stop being human. Time to find a new creature to be. Be a fish or a weed or a sparrow, for the earth has grown tired and all of your time has expired. Oh, the gardens are sprouting with flowers and the treetops are bursting with birds. And the people all know that it's over. They lay down their airs and they hang up their tiresome words. In an exhausted world where there seems to be no possibility or future, when everything is destabilized and when it seems like the end is the only good news, then what the national is offering is that it's time to be a new creature. Because obviously being human just doesn't work anymore. Look at the mess that humanity has gotten all of us into. But the story of Christianity says, no. Do you actually want to know what the good news is? Do you want to know what's possible? I will make you more human than you ever thought you could be. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it to the full, that you might have it abundantly. Humanity, being human isn't the problem. Being human in the way without Jesus is because we don't know how to be human. Jesus came in order to show us that we might be. Do you know our vision statement at Grace Long Beach is a human being fully alive? That that is, if we could imagine what the, what the gospel would do, it would make human beings more fully alive. So the good news is not that we need to be new creatures or need to be other than or less than or just completely extinguished as, hum- as humans. The answer is to go to Jesus to learn how to be human in the way that God has created us to be. So what does that mean? It actually means that if the good news that we have to offer the world is to show the world where to go when it's tired and burned out and it's completely unstable and everything seems like a dead end. We, as people, can show the world who has life and rest, whose yoke is easy. The answer for the church is not to, to close itself off so it, does, it isn't stained by culture as if that's actually possible. The answer for the church is not to be more relevant to culture as if that's possible. The answer of the church is to be a group of people who know where life is found and to go to it. To go to the one who says, come to me. 
That is what our calling is, together. To go to the one who has the words of life. To go to the one who will make us more human. To go to the one who has broken into the world to change everything. That is what God has made possible in the person of Jesus. That is where life and rest is found. And for those of you who have not experienced that life or rest, you come in here and you don't even know why you're here. Let me tell you that Jesus is inviting you to come to him. For those of you who feel burned out, worn out for whatever reason, sadness, grief, confusion, anger, Jesus is asking you to go to him as well. He will give you rest. And for all of us, he's saying, come to me, learn from me. May we be a people who go to the one who has life and to learn from him what it looks like to live in the way of grace. Thanks be to God that he has come to us, shown us what it looks like to love God, to love neighbor. Thanks be to the God who has come so that we might experience rest and that we might become fully alive. There's an opportunity now. Well, there are two different opportunities. There are going to be people on the sides here who want to pray with you. And Jake, can you put the um, message version of that, of uh, Matthew 11 up? I want to encourage you that, that Jesus does want to answer these questions. Are you tired? Are you burned out? He wants to be your life and he wants to be your rest. And if you don't experience that, there will be people who want to pray with you. But also, if you don't feel comfortable going to receive prayer, um, Beth is going to be singing this over you as a way for you to consider and to reflect and to respond to the words of Jesus to where you might be right now. But I encourage you, if, if this week, here's a practical way of living into what if, whatever it is you heard God say this morning, is to take these, this passage and to engage it in your life of prayer. Honestly, take every sentence and respond to Jesus with it. That's what I've been trying to do. And it's been, it's been refreshing, and it's been restorative. And I encourage you to do that practice as well. And begin now. If you want, you can pray with people uh, or be listening to Beth as she prays and sings over us.